Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Susan Dance, who is a business strategist, works with senior level executives on their organization's key strategic initiatives to improve productivity and profitability. Susan has her BS in clinical psychology from Tufts University and her MBA in finance and strategic management from the Wharton School. We have so much to chat about here, Susan. Let's get right into this. Sounds wonderful. Thanks for having me. Yes, and welcome. So let's start out by talking a little bit about your personal journey and then move into your professional journey. So my personal journey is that I grew up in a suburban neighborhood that was more urban. It was very diverse. And I learned an appreciation for all different types of people from from that experience. I wanted to continue that in, in college. So wanted to get out of my New Jersey area and explore a bit and um, decided to go to Tufts, which is very international. Also decided to study abroad and not only study abroad when I was in my junior year, but to work abroad to really embrace the culture and the habits. And I decided that I wanted to uh, study in London because at nine and a half years old, my dad had an assignment in London and I just fell in love with the, the people, the culture, the history. So every year since that time, I would always ask my dad, when are we going back to London? And he said, not yet, not yet, not yet. And I said, okay, I will find my way there. So I made it a mission of mine when I went to college, I would study abroad and made that happen. Oh, that is totally cool. I love England. Um, London is its own unique city. So I completely align with you. It's so much fun there and so unique. So let me ask you, you went to school, you then moved on um, to studying abroad and you worked abroad. So what was that like? And how did you even find out about that? Because when I look back on my education, my focus was get through school, work. You know, I had to work a full-time job. So I wasn't looking at these exterior things like maybe studying and traveling abroad during school. So how did you find out about these programs? What was that all about? And just give me a little bit of insight because I'm sure my listeners might want to hear that too. Sure. A couple of things. I guess my abroad journey started in high school because I studied and did a travel program in Israel the summer between junior and senior years of high school. And it was my mom who did the research and um, found out about these programs. And so I caught that bug of curiosity about travel and study programs from that experience. And going into Tufts, they had a whole study abroad experience and office where you could go in and learn about the different programs. But my own personal sort of vision and mission was I just didn't want to do 
any program. I, I just didn't want to study. I wanted it to be different. And I found that in doing my research in particular, Boston University had a work abroad study program. And I thought that was something unique and valuable. So it was a matter of doing research. I'm sure today people can Google, they can work with their local colleges and universities to find out. And then, then there's, you know, different countries that want you to come and, and study. So um, I'm sure, again, those could be found in, in doing some research with keywords. Right. Absolutely. I think today it might be a little easier to research those programs because we have so many resources available to us and easily accessible. So what was that like and what did you gain from that, not just studying, but working abroad during that time in your uh, college career? So what I learned from that was first exposure to really good management. So I had a wonderful leader who was a woman in our department. So it was a selection, what they called a selection methods department. And I was responsible and that group was responsible for developing what was called selection tests for advancement within the company or recruitment into the company. And the staff was made up of people who had psychology backgrounds and analytical backgrounds. And as a psychology major and somebody who also had an analytical interest, this is a perfect marriage for me. And I had the opportunity at a very young age to actually introduce a new idea and concept for them in reading over sample selection methods tests they had up in a paragraph and then you had to answer questions those paragraphs were very sterile and i had a um, customer service experience in london at, at a very well-known restaurant and that didn't go so well and they remedied it and i modeled a selection methods test in selecting customer service representatives on this particular experience with a restaurant and because it was so different we had to present it up the chain and into the woman who headed the group and and she agreed that this was something to to try and it, it was very exciting as as somebody to introduce this idea and, and just recognize too that we are people when we're developing whatever it is product or service keep in mind who the other person is at the end who's going to be taking it, but also what is the experience that you want to create for your ultimate customer? And that was my first taste of being able to do that. Oh, very cool. So would you say what you created was not just a selection experience, but you were able to overlay that with your psychology background in that you were really looking at personality and, and how that particular personality might do well or not so well in that particular environment? Yes, you can say that, you know, early on, I, I was promoting emotional intelligence. Right. Without labeling it that. That's what it was. <laughs> what a great experience. So I can see what you took away from that. So we're going to move forward. And 
I need to ask you, were you always interested in business? Did you have mentors? You talked about, you touched on one mentor um, in London and those that supported you with your business goals. So give us a glimpse of what sparked your interest in business because you got your degree in psychology and then you went to the Wharton School for an MBA. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I was always just curious about business. I've read books, I read um in search of excellence early on in high school, fascinated by what made companies that were in that book, you know, distinguished. I was always fascinated by Steve Jobs as um, an entrepreneur and what he was able to create. And was always fascinated by like Japanese management principles that was popular when, um, I was growing up. So that just, it, it, it was just that curiosity and uh, fascination about business that interested me and in taking my psychology degree and applying it in that way and having a bigger impact. This impact for me is very important. That is awesome. I love how you kind of develop that and how you always had kind of this strategic mind and you it sounds like you read books on business early on and how to improve yourself and so that kind of dovetails with the psychology and the business together and we'll get into that but I have a quick question for you sure I just read a post and I have this interaction with this gentleman um, he asked me about my business and when I told him about my business, I was just so excited. You could just hear it in my voice. And he was just, you know, and after the discussion, he said, you know what? I really don't take on passion projects. And I wasn't even asking him for, for guidance or advice. I just wanted to talk to him. I was, it was a first meeting. And so we just chatted. And, and so my question to you is, Susan, what do you think about passion projects becoming businesses? So this to me goes from a strategic point of view, it's your values and vision. So if you have those values and vision, that's the root, that's the foundation for anything. And, you know, what comes to mind is a woman that I recently interviewed for my show who started a nonprofit that was inspired by a book she read and married um, her interest in public policy with um, an interest in horses and started this nonprofit. And I think about another woman who was also interested in public policy and music, somebody else I interviewed, who uh, started a nonprofit and that is her avocation now. So it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a nonprofit, but I think it's, you're put on the, I believe that you're put on the planet to share your gifts. And if you're these things that you're passionate about, you can turn into a, a business. It's yeah. a, it's a commitment. It is a commitment. And I love what you said about values and how that really plays a big part in not just your passion, but making that into a business and providing something to community. And, and I go back to this because part of my post was the two Steves who created Apple. It was a passion project. They dropped out of school, sold their VW minivan, as well as that programmable calculator. 
and they got the money to create their passion. Also, if you're talking Under Armour, if you're talking the woman who created Spanx, who cut out the feet of her nylons, you know, she, it was something she wore every day. And so she cut out the feet and thought, you know what, this is workable and I don't need the feet necessarily in these nylons. So she created Spanx. So yeah, passion projects for me, I believe can absolutely become businesses. And, and this is also what I heard from you, but I also think you pointed something very valuable out and that has to do with values. So thank you for that because I wrote a book recently and it has to do with just that, your value system and being strategic. And so getting to my next question, I just had to kind of pick your brain about that because it's just such a, it was such an interesting exchange. So can you talk a bit about being an entrepreneur and your development of your business, the GAN Strategic Solutions? Yes. So becoming an entrepreneur now, um, truly on my own, I've been in situations where I'll call it, I've been an intrapreneur and had umbrella companies over me. This is totally me being me. And it's really the culmination of all of the experiences that I've had. So it's about being able to create a space where I can work with clients on challenges that they're having. So whether they're having growth challenges or challenges introducing change or engaging employees or thinking about how do they reimagine their businesses what I bring to those experiences for them is my own experience in the corporate world and being an entrepreneur with the business background, the finance piece, the psychology piece, so the listening, the non-judgment, and then to give them structure, which is the other part of my brain, just to have those the vision and values, we start with that. Like what's important to you? Because we can't, I can't help somebody if they don't know what they want. Ultimately, it's like, what are you working towards? Right. And they have to go, you know, sometimes deeper and it could be uncomfortable. And I make it as comfortable as possible to explore the uncomfortableness, if that makes sense. And I'll, I'll put in humor, I'll use analogies, and I'll meet them where they're at and have a sense intuitively of where they need the support. Right. And then bring in the business piece of the structure once they're open to, okay, this is what we're working towards. And I see this is starting to get in the way and here's my blind spot. And I now I've identified that blind spot so I can work through it. But it starts with them knowing them. I absolutely can appreciate what you pointed out here. Sometimes we need to do the hard work first on ourselves and identify what it is in fact that we're going for, what the end result is, how we want to monetize, how we want, what our goals are, what our vision is, what our mission is, and how we are going to objectively reach those goals. And so, but first, sometimes it really is doing that tough work and taking that deep dive of, I got to get to know myself. I got to understand where I'm coming from because as you well know, being an entrepreneur, it's a difficult thing and you have your ups and your downs. You have your challenges and changes. And so with that said, if you have strong foundation 
and values and strategy, you're more likely to come through those down days because we can come through obviously our up days, but our down days, if we take it with, this is the wisdom that I gained from this and now we continue to go forward. If that strong, that foundation is strong, you'll continue to move on forward. So, and you know, as an entrepreneur, there are those, those challenges. So, yes. And I like what you said that you meet your clients where they are. That's very Adlerian in regards to um, theory. So it's really humanistic. It's very Adlerian and it's very like, if you don't meet your client where they're functioning at, a lot of times you'll lose that client. So I like that you mentioned that. Now, I want you to touch on what it was like for you going through the ranks in New York as a business professional. Yes. So I wasn't, I was prepared, let's say technically in life through college. I wasn't, I would say I wasn't as prepared for the people stuff, the softer skills in the corporate world. And something that I learned later on is sort of the rules of the game and advancing in your career change over time. So the strategies and tools and approaches that you might have used earlier in your career are not the same strategies, tools, and approaches that you're going to use uh, later on in your career. So example, I started my career in commercial lending and I was always socialized by my parents to put your head down and do the work. So when you put the head down and do the work, you get recognized. Just like when you put your head down, do the work, you study, you get into the good college, good grad school, get the good job, all, all those things I was socialized for. But after business school, though that put your head down and do your work is not the strategy that was going to get me ahead. And I learned from observing other people, particularly the men in my office, that when they came to the office in the morning, they weren't turning on the computer and putting their head down and doing the work first. They would first go into each other's offices. And I realize it's different today, but they would talk about, they would develop relationships. They would find out about what each other liked, what were the sports teams, and they would bond. They would find that commonality and they would bond. And that would result in people having meals together that would result in when what I'd call plum assignments would come up. Then it typically went to the same group of people who got to know each other and bond and after observing this several times, I finally got that message that you really need to develop relationships within your own company and externally outside of your company. And if you're an entrepreneur, my uh, analogy there in terms of internal, it's like people that are part of your, let's say, support system that you complementary do business with. And those are your internal people to develop relationships with. Absolutely. I so love that. And you've touched on so many things here. First of all, you touched on conditioning and how we were conditioned and socialized as girls to young women, to women out in the workforce to put our heads down. And that changed over time. Our own strategy had to change over time. You touched on recognition, recognizing around you what was happening and taking notice of the behavior. 
And so that's, I think, really an important something that you pointed out because as you recognize that, how did you break down walls in the business industry with a, in a male-dominated profession? So a few things. So I promised myself that after observing, like when I finally got this message, <laughs> that in my next role, wherever that was going to be, that it was going to be different. I would, I would know the political landscape from the beginning. And so that's exactly what happened. I went on to work on, uh, in, on Wall Street in a technology realm. So talk about mail and mail. <laughs> right. And, and, and do, you, do you mind mentioning what year that was? Like, was that the early 90s or? That was in the late 90s. Late 90s. Uh-huh. Wow. And I had a wonderful mail boss who um, within the first a couple of week, weeks of me starting, I asked him, I want to know who the stakeholders are and I want to know what's important to them and I want to know the relationships amongst them. And he said, that's such a good question. We're going to pull the whole team in and we had a small team, so it was four of us. And we're going to spend an afternoon book time on my calendar. So it's exactly what we did. We mapped it out on his whiteboard and he told us, this is what's important to this person, this person, this person, that person. And that, um, that insight from that sort of street smart boss was invaluable. Mm-hmm. I left that organization on my own terms because it was recruited out from somebody who used to work at that organization and moved to another organization. Mm-hmm. But that led to it. I was in the technology field for 10 years on Wall Street. Wow. And during that time, I had my two daughters. Now, with that said, and we talked about this previously. Yes. What was that like having children working on Wall Street as a woman What was that like for you during that time? So for me, it was about having a support system. I had an alumni mentor early on. And when I was still at business school, the first question I asked her because she was a partner at an accounting and consulting firm. She had just made partners. She was involved in her community. She had a young child. And I said to her, so how do you manage this? I mean, you're, you're successful and you have a family and you're involved in the community. How do you do all this? And she said, oh, relax. You, you get help. Like, what do you mean you get help? You, know, you either you put somebody into daycare or you have babysitters. You'll figure it out. When once you get the childcare figured out, everything else falls into place. And I said, no, really, tell me, tell me. <laughs> And she said, Susan, that I just told you, were you not listening? <laughs> <laughs> Hire somebody. <laughs> and, and so I got the message is have your support system right. around you. And so that was, was key for me. And, and she was absolutely right. Because sometimes when the, the support system, particularly in the childcare realm, fell down, then that was something that needed attention right away to enable me to full be fully present right for my work so you know we found the child care resources that you know met with our families 
requirements and and got the support so that I could focus on my job, my husband could focus on his job, and everybody could feel supported. So it was a win-win. And that's fantastic because at the time too, maybe in the late 80s, we all knew women were trying to break the glass ceiling. So there were a lot of movies coming out at the time that addressed these issues such as Baby Boom and Working Girl. And so I know you must have seen them, you know, as I did. And these were the stories that were being told because we were trying to break that glass ceiling. We were trying to move up the ranks. We were trying to, we were changing our dress. We were changing our language. We were changing how we had to strategize because we were mothers. We were having babies. We were also wanting a profession. We also had to take care of the household. There were a lot of things we were juggling. And so we, that was a great question. How do you do it? How do you juggle it? And so Yes, support systems. I think it always comes down to who's, who's basically around you. What do you have? What resources? And really kind of gather those resources and see how they're going to work for you. And sometimes those resources change, but as long as you have some resources and reach out to folks and say, hey, I may need help here. So that's what's great about having a nice, strong support system. Now, as we move into the changes that are happening today. Can you tell me a little bit about how maybe your practice has changed a little bit due to the pandemic and what unique ways has your business consultation and strategies changed along with that? So I'm somebody who likes in-person interaction and I'm somebody who's also used to and comfortable in working in what I call the 2D world, whether that's by phone or video chat and I've been using those platforms in some international work for a couple of years now. So um, for me, I've also been mentoring other people, organizations and business folks on how do you develop relationships in a 2D world? And it's really bringing psychology to bear because it's really about listening and being present. It's about putting that phone away and other distractions and being fully focused and in the moment with the part. And I think that's why people feel so exhausted after a day of video chats, because they have to fully focus cameras on and people can hear you and see you. And they know if you're not paying attention. Right. Right. So it sounds like this transition wasn't such a difficult transition because it was something that you were already doing. Yes. So for me, it was mentoring people and and walking them over the bridge of, of how do you go from the 3D world to the 2D world? Right. Right. Because for some folks, it is a really new experience. And for people like you and me, it's not necessarily that new. People continue to ask me, well, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm doing, I'm working the way I normally work. So it's, you know, it's okay for me. You know? So it works for me. Now you have a depth of experience in leadership, human resources, flexible workforce programs, training and consulting You've given us a great picture about how you've gained this experience. Now we're going to kind of move on and talk about your show, REST or REST, which is an acronym. Can you tell the listeners a bit more about the show? 
Sure. So this is a new thing I've been doing since the pandemic and in the business is early on in the pandemic, I was thinking about how can I contribute? What can I bring to the table? Because I am not a first responder. I'm not a firefighter, police officer, or in the medical community. But I am a business leader and I can contribute that way. And then I start to think about, well, who is going to need support during this time and more support than others? And I start to think about the small and mid-sized business owner. And I start to think about the nonprofits. And I wanted to create a, a show that was going to be about resiliency and people being empowered and I wanted to think, well, what's a catchy name? And so I did a play on words to say R-E-S-T because I felt early on in particular that people just needed to take a break, just uh, relax and rest and then act. And so that's how I came up with resiliency and empowerment seminar today. So I have two goals with the show. One is to raise awareness of the businesses and nonprofits. The other, and very important during these times, is to put more positive messages out there. I felt particularly early on, there was such dark and heavy messages being promoted in, in the media that I wanted to give people a sense of hope that People have been resilient in other times in their lives, and it doesn't have to be a big pandemic to demonstrate resiliency. Even, you know, you fall off a bicycle and you get back on, that's resilience. We've all had some of these moments throughout our lives, and I wanted to shine a light on that as well for people to be inspired by one another, the everyday people to be inspired. Well, I so like this idea, and this is on YouTube, correct? Yes. Okay. You can find um, the episodes there on GAN Strategic Solutions. Okay. So as we come to the end of the interview, my last question is always, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? So number one would be to know your vision and your values. What's important to you? Number two is to be authentic and visible in whatever you do. Don't hide. You do the best version of you. And it's to be really aware of developing relationships because relationship building is what gets you ahead in life, personal and professional. Great words of wisdom. And thank you so much, Susan, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. If you'd like to connect with Susan Gans, you can reach her on LinkedIn or at GANSTRATEGICSOLUTIONS.COM and on YouTube. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. 
This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about core women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the core women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.